a weird What happened to music? But we're gonna go ahead and start. I think we lost our intro music. But hey, happy culture cast day. Are we on? Yeah. Happy Culture Cast Day. Sorry, everyone. We were grooving to the music. Turn that off. Oh, okay. We were grooving to the music. Welcome, my friend Charles Jenkins, AKA Chuck. We are live from Newport Beach. And let's just make sure technically we're good. We good to go? Yeah, I think you were here in the family. Okay, that's probably what was going on. Sorry, everybody. So anyway, welcome, welcome to Culture Cast. We are live and we are in charge with Charles Jenkins. <laughs> I was telling you on the way in, I know for those of you who are on this Culture Cast, you already know about the intro music, but I thought I'd share this with you. So a friend of mine, Julius Wilder, he's a producer in Nashville, originally from Copenhagen. He created this, this wow. little tune. Wow. And That's like, fantastic. yeah, it's amazing. Lucky and glasses. Well, like your whole fit, like your whole vibe. <laughs> and so I have to like just shout out to Julius every time because it's just a good beat and I, it it deserves a minute plus. Oh, right? It's alive. It's alive. That's right. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. This is I'm incredible. so excited to have you live and in person. And before we get into the amazingness that you are, Let's just remind everyone, this is Culture Cast. Why are we here? Because I think, Chuck, you are all things culture. Did I not just call you a seagoat? Did I not just call you the culture? And I need Primatine Miss. I can't worry. Greatest of all time. <laughs> um, and so, wait, how are we doing? Um, did I not just call you the greatest of all time with everything that you've accomplished? No, I, I I actually want to interview you oh. on the Culture Cast, ladies and gentlemen, because she's the goat in real well, in I real mean, life. I mean, we can throw back questions back and forth, but before it. we like jump into all of the amazing things that you have created, I just want to get into like what was going on, and I always want to go back to childhood, like sure. where you grew up. You know, your early days, who was young Charles back in the day? And I want to understand like that pathway to 
how you end up becoming this young pastor. So tell mm. me, let's let's go all the way back. So I'm originally from St. Petersburg, Florida, um, where it's it's warm and sunny and palm trees and white sand. And I grew up, I had an amazing mom and dad. Um, my my dad was, he owned a construction company, um, did masonry, and he owned a landscaping company. Oh, wow. And my mother was a school teacher. She's taught school for almost 40 years at Clearwater Senior High, uh, biology, chemistry, physics, calculus, all of the stuff I, I wasn't supposed to get C's or D's in. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, um, I was raised in and around church. Okay. Um you know, my dad played golf on Sundays uh, uh, and was really? semi-pro. Actually, oh yeah, he wow he played with a guy named Calvin Pete, who was like the Tiger Woods of the eighties. Nice. Uh, and uh, my mother would take us to church every time the doors donned, every time they opened, she would take us to church. And so, we were raised um, learning about service and love and giving, and we would visit seniors and take them food um uh, go grocery shopping for them miss mary daly we would pick her up and take oh. her to piccadilly and she couldn't go out to the to the big buffet we would take her and uh at takeout she would she would um pack up food and silverware but we're not gonna tell anybody but i mean who doesn't <laughs> i'm just saying like we need a little extra you just never know right? oh we would say don't right? take the silverware yes. and the napkin and, but 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 <laughs> But the environment that we were raised in was that of service. We would go sit with seniors. The wildest thing is we would, my mother would say, let's go see who's grieving. And she would take us to the funeral home and we would sit out and Aww. go in to random families uh, as they're viewing their loved ones and oh rub people's goodness. backs. And they would turn around and be like, who are y'all? And we would be like, we know. And they would turn back around and we were just encouraging people and loving people and that was the environment. And I think as a kid, um, uh, I think in 19, I want to say 80, I want to say 82, I think my father was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Oh my goodness. Um, no. And uh, I'll never forget it. He had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Um, and there was one evening, it was cold in Florida, 40 degrees is freezing in Florida. And our house caught on fire and my father had not, yeah, my, my father had not smoked a cigarette in years and I'll never forget it. We're all outside standing in our pajamas with nothing but our pajamas on in the cold and the house is burning down to the ground. And oh, here comes no. my father shaking with a cigarette. And um, that was what I believe was a pivotal moment. Um, that was transitional in him transitioning out of this life. And uh, some years later, he passed away. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, after he passed away, uh, I found myself, I would say, lost. I couldn't even go to his homegoing celebration because mm. uh, I was a daddy's boy. Yeah. Uh, he took me with him everywhere he went, um, took me to work with him on Saturdays. Uh, landscaping. I was five years old, picking up sticks and ultimately using the the shrubbery cutter and and all of the. I was with him all the time, and he would take me to the golf course with him every oh, day wow. after school. 
And so when he passed away, I was riveted. I had a 103 degree temperature, couldn't oh, hold any food down. And uh, the grief rendered me completely dysfunctional. And, um, you know, I found myself as a 10 year old trying to figure out how to live without my dad. Oh, my goodness. That is such a young age to you. Yeah, yeah. Lose your dad, especially with how close you were. Yeah. Now, quick question. Sure. So when he was diagnosed with stomach cancer and mm -hmm. he hadn't smoked in a long time, mm -hmm. and when the house was burning down, mm -hmm. was it as a result of smoking or what was going on that the house started burning down? Um, It was, uh, I think it was a few okay. somewhere in a room um, that sparked something caught a fire and and we were little kids all i remember is my mom uh, my auntie kate from new york was visiting and um she said we we smell smoke and suddenly we we're running out of the house but my point was the the riveting um experience of hearing that you're losing yeah. everything gripped my father and and then he yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, I think getting that news and then as a family watching your house burn down. We lost everything really, in a night. Yeah, everything, everything but the pajamas on your back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My mom had to literally figure out where we could stay that night. And then what do you like? Okay. You can't go to school the next day until we find clothes. Right. And like, it's a whole, when you lose everything. Yeah. But fast forward, my father passes away, and um, as I grew, I was trying to figure out what does it look like to be a man right. um, without that influence in on your life. And ultimately, I thought it was, I thought being a man was doing whatever you want to do, uh, making your own decisions. Yeah. And ultimately, I did some of that. I thought it was being a tough guy. Sure. And so... Uh, by the time I had gotten to the ninth grade, I had become a professional school skipper. Uh-oh. And uh <laughs> Oh no. You're living your life. I'm just gonna miss school. I mean Yeah, well, you know, it was I could do what I want. So right. I would I would catch the bus to school, walk through the school, jump into my homeboys stankin' Lincoln town car, what ride to their home and it's pool parties, it's food, it's fun, it's yeah. friends. And I did that for multiple days, more days than uh, I'm going to tell you. And sure, people know. <laughs> wow, dude. Did you even get through? You got through that, right? I did. Okay. I did. I did. I got through. So fast forward, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my drill. I'm walking through the school. And this particular day, my teachers are hanging out in the, in the, the trail that I would take. They do an intervention on me. Where are, where have you been? Yeah. They take me into an office. They give me a fantastic talking to. And then um, they give me a hall monitor that I have to check in with every day to make sure I'm going to go to school classes. They give me a tutor to make sure I'm doing my homework. They give me a guidance counselor to make sure I'm keeping my head on straight that I have to check in with. And then for punishment to make sure I don't hang out after school with my friends, they put me in gospel choir. Oh, wow. So you were monitored literally 12 hours a day. I was on, <laughs> I was on like school arrest. School arrest. <laughs> That's right. 
keeping you in the institution. Listen. I mean, right? <laughs> they locked me down. I was on lockdown, literally. But it was it was incredible and remarkable because that was the fork in the road for me. It was gospel choir that I hated so much. Wow. I thought it was for weak guys, weak people. I thought it was for soft people because remember, I'm a tough guy. Yeah. And I was sitting back with my arms folded, me mugging everybody. I would never stand up and sing along. You didn't even sing along. You're no. just kind of like, I have to sit here. I don't want to be yeah. there. And suddenly one day, the choir director walked in and started playing the piano and never looked at the keys. I had taken seven years of classical piano as a child. Oh, my goodness. We have that in common, friend. Oh. I kid you not. Like. There were so many commonalities, and we're still talking about your childhood right now. But I took piano lessons. My mom and dad bought this baby grand piano. Don't know how they afforded it, but they're like, Marisa is playing that someday. So first grade through eighth grade, so almost eight years of wow. piano. Wow. Took hardcore piano lessons. And my parents both worked, so we grew up with keys around our necks. Sure. And here was the routine. Come home, do your homework for the first hour or so then play piano for an hour. So practice your piano. Yeah. Do chores, you know, around our home. Sure. And then if there was time and if someone was home, if, you know, an adult was home, like normally it was my dad, he fixed televisions for a living. So he would be home. And my mom actually had two jobs as a nurse. Mm. Then if there was time, we could play with the neighbors, but not when you're doing all of that. So I hear you on the, that, um, classical piano lessons, yes. which I took uh, for granted. Yeah, same, I don't know how you same. felt about that. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I hated it. Yeah, so did I. I. What's amazing is today being in the music space, not to jump too far ahead, but it was that ages 5 to 12 of classical piano Yeah, that really shaped an impact in my life. Even at that moment in gospel choir, when I saw the piano player, how's everybody today? Good to see you all. And I was mesmerized. And it was that moment in time that captivated me and shifted. And I think oftentimes we miss the fact that it can be the small thing that can lead to big things. Yeah. And it could be the seed that leads to a harvest that you would never imagine because oftentimes we underestimate, minimize, dismiss, or we don't give any attention to that seed. But that was the moment that transitioned me to from mean mugging to listening to the songs, to singing along, to actually going out to sing with the choir to seeing how the music impacted people and affected people. And it reverted me back to all of the service that I had been right. taught by my mother. And 16, I'm licensed to preach. 18, I'm ordained. 20, I'm named the successor um, to one of the most influential churches in Chicago, following an icon, a guy named Clay Evans. Oh, my goodness. Um there's so much to unpack from that. I'm really curious with the service upbringing, it finally came full circle. Sure. There's a couple of things. One is how much of your dad's spirit, mm. I guess, guided you through this time? Because I think um, some people know this, like I recently lost my dad. He passed mm. this last year. 
And I hear you, like it gets really hard. And, uh, you know, he actually got really sick in 2019. And then over the last few years, just his health deteriorated. Mm -hmm. And while mentally we were getting ready for him to, you know, to pass, mm -hmm. once it actually did happen, you know, you're never ready for that. Sure. sure. And so I think about like, and it was crippling for a moment and it just took a while to kind of get clear around all right life's purpose you know i was so close to him mm -hmm. kind of like you and your dad i mean we could he did everything with me for me anything that i wanted to do he wanted to support but then i think about even more recently as i'm questioning all right well should i be doing this or that right mm -hmm. like what's next in life or what's the next project i'm going to work on i oftentimes in my heart actually talk to him and i don't know if you if you had that kind of spiritual guidance along the way, as you were going through the mean mugging to kind of finding service again. You know, I think that whenever we lose someone we love, um, you know, we, there's a hole um, that cannot be filled by anyone else. Yeah. And what I think I cling to even to this day is that, um, the things that I saw precept his example, um, the words that I heard, um, the the work ethic, the the laughter, the jovial jovial jubilance yeah. that he brought to spaces, um, the insights that I've heard about him because unfortunately I didn't get to experience my dad as long as you did yeah, yours. Yeah. And so I I have to, you know, go from the short amount of time coupled with the stories that I've heard. And I think that both the characteristics, the wisdom, the the insights that I've gathered and garnered garnered, of course, yeah. are are many of the guiding lights. Yeah. I love that. Uh that that inspire me and even my work ethic, which sometimes is extreme. Um, I got it honest. Yeah. And and I'm empowered by his witness, his model, his example. And what helps me is is knowing that as difficult as it is, we all have a set amount of time. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, a start date, a stop date, and in between is that dash. And all we have is that dash. And he did his thing with that dash right. until he got to his stop date. And, 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 you know, I'm inspired while of course I miss him, but I'm inspired by the life that he lived yes. to try to make him proud and try to do and be, you know, what he would feel really good about. I'm sure that he is so proud of everything that you accomplish. And I think about, you know, you through this gospel choir and being on school arrest. And then <laughs> how are you even ordained? I mean, how did you even go through that process at 16? Did you decide to do that? You know, I think when you mentioned, uh, and I wrote a book about this, it's called Seasons. Um, and the premise of the book is all of our lives are framed in seasons, mm -hmm. scenes and segments of time one giant timeline broken up into several different time periods. No one season necessarily looks the same. And um, I, in the book, I talk about 
how to discover your purpose. Purpose mm-hmm. simply meaning assignment, responsibility, obligation, and many different people are guided to their purpose in many different ways. Some people are escorted into their purpose. It's difficult yeah. for you to figure it out yourself. Some are recruited. Um, some have an epiphany theophany. Some uh, are are just you know inspired to yes. embrace or engage an opportunity. And there you are. And I think for me, I was trying to, as I was in this gospel choir, I was trying to figure out, you know, who am I to be? Yeah. Why do I exist? What do I want to do? I had seen throughout my community men um, riding bicycles and sitting on porches and sitting under trees. And just as a kid, um, respectfully not knowing their stories, I just knew that wasn't anything I wanted to do. And so early on, I was trying to figure out what are my purposes? What am I supposed to be doing? And as a kid, I was a dancer. Oh, wow. A dancer, dancer. You're just super creative. I would shut your party down. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I was at a dance group with uh, a a gentleman who is one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. It's a guy named Will Packer. Yeah. Who does almost everything Kevin Hart is in. We were in a dance group. Oh, my God. And uh, we grew up together. And so fast forward, I, I wondered if I would dance professionally and... MC Hammer, if you've ever heard of him, came to town. He was coming to town (laughs) looking for dancers. (laughs) So everybody in my city was like, Chuck is out of here. He's MC Hammer's going to scoop him up. And I don't know why I had the sensibility to say, I know that this is expected, but is this really what I'm supposed to do? And so I was praying and it was brought to my mind this idea and this thought that I wasn't to dance professionally with MC Hammer, but maybe I was formally called to preach the gospel as a minister. Got it. Wow. And it's nothing I wanted to do, but I had dreams. I had visions. I had all of these, what I would call markers mentally that pointed to that. And so I went to the guy who was my pastor at my church and was like, I feel like I've had this clear picturesque portrait of doing this. And so he put me in some classes and I went through this process of studying and learning and they put me up to speak publicly at 16 and I had a congruent message and I made my fair share of mistakes. <laughs> right? I mean, at 16, but, that's early. No, it yeah. was very early. There were like 800 people there. Oh, my gosh. And um, my first year publicly, I think I like spoke like 70 or 80 times. That's amazing. My first year. And uh, I was being invited everywhere. And at 18, I was offered my first church. There was this very well-known pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, okay. who had passed away of this very large church. And I was invited to become the pastor at 18. Oh, wow. And uh, I declined the invitation. I was scared to death. I yeah. said, what if somebody passes away? I have no idea what to do or say, yeah. or if someone wants to get married. I have no idea. And so I declined, but because I was getting offers, and this was a big church. It was like two, 3,000 members. Um, wow. so they ordained me, they ordained me they and ordained you. to, to formally be in position just in case just, I was okay. to take a church. How, okay. 
I, there's a couple of things too. I don't, I, I, the book, first of all, I love the framework of thinking of your life in seasons mm. and how your purpose, you get there one way or another. And mm. for some people you're escorted, you know, but I'm hearing you talk about like this calling mm. that you were dreaming about. Right. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I want to make sure we point out is the seed that was planted mm. when you were mean mugging in the back of your gospel choir sure. and how I want people to remember this because I feel like conversations, especially of late sure, with a lot of people like, um, you know, coming through this transition with COVID and there's a lot of change happening sure, and just paying attention to these signs, right. That may lead you to a better calling or a place that you can further really express your life and express your purpose. Sure. And I think that's a beautiful moment where you're like, okay, I played classical piano, but now I'm inspired sure. by actually engaging in this experience that maybe happened for me. Right. And I think people should just lessen there sure. that I think that's happening all around us and people don't take the time to be present sure. to actually feel that. Right. Sure. I mean, what oh, do you no think doubt. of that? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No, no. I think, as you said, I think there are seeds and there are signs. Yeah. And often we don't pay attention to seeds because they're not the heavy thing, the obvious thing, yeah. the, the demanding thing. It's the light thing, the inconspicuous thing, the thing that maybe won't grasp your attention because yeah. it's not amazing and yeah. it's not glossy or glamorous. It's quite boring. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think that sometimes, though, that's why it's important to be connected to people who can see you when you can't see yourself because more times and more times than not, we can only see what we have been, not what we can be. That's right. We can only see what we've done, not maybe what we're supposed to do. And so that's why I think being, as you said, present, but yeah. also um, both directly and indirectly, um, connecting to people who have the ability to call us up and yeah. call us out and call us into yeah, what may be now or what may be next. I love that. I, I mean, there's so many ripe quotes right now. Just I could play back to you, but not who we were, but who we can be. I mean, mm. I love that. Now, I want to take it fast forward. You're ordained. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm learning about this whole system. It's mm -hmm. not unlike for many who are watching us right now, there's a lot of very corporate people who grow up in a corporate system. Sure. So I love that you had leaders and mentors, I'll just say that, sure. who actually believed in you, everything that we're talking about, that also can probably see you in a way that maybe you saw yourself, but they can also see what, here's what you can be, sure. right? And encouraged sure. you and put you on that development track, certification track, yes. I'm trying to relate it to corporate, yes. but like getting these offers so young, what moved you towards Chicago of all places and this legendary church that you actually became pastor of? Like, what was that journey? And then how never, did you become a successor, dude? Like, I would have never gone to Chicago. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? You were down in, you know, Clearwater, Florida, yeah, down yeah, in the South. What sure. the heck? I, 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 so 
you know, first of all, it was too cold. It's it's my favorite city. Love to Chicago. But as a Floridian, you know, I went to go to school for a stint in Birmingham, Alabama at a school called Miles College. Okay. Um, I'm in all of these leadership roles. I'm president of freshman class. Like I evolved from the kid who's yes, skipping school did. to the kid who's president of freshman class, president, vice president, all kinds of stuff on campus. And I, I wanted to go to a school called Morehouse in Atlanta. Yep. Um, they lost my application. How did they lose your application? They lost it. Okay. <laughs> I mean. They they lost it. Um, and and what's funny, really quick caveat, they inducted me into the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Board of Scholars years later. Oh my goodness. Uh, but <laughs> so shout out to Morehouse. But they lost my <laughs> application. By the time they found it, they said, we had, we don't have time. Uh, all of your classes are closed for your major. Oh, wow. And so if you come, you it's too late for a financial aid package. And so you've got to bring $14,000 um, cash, uh, uh, half up front, half at the end of the first semester. And my mother was like, no way, no how. Who has that kind of money? I'm right. sorry. Right. All of your classes are closed. Um, and so you have to go to night school if you come. And so my pastor had showed me a magazine, magazine, the number one Bible college in America was a school called Moody Bible Institute okay. in Chicago. I applied. Nobody thought I would get in. Um, I got in. They accepted wow. me the week of orientation. They had one bed left on campus. They said, if you can bring $500 and be here tomorrow, you're in. Wow. My mother went to a store called JCPenney. I remember JCPenney. And bought everything she could buy. I got off the plane the next day from 80 degree weather to 30 below zero. I got off the plane looking like the Michelin man <laughs> with all of these right. layers. And it was uh, how I got to Chicago. Long story short, I started speaking all over Chicago. I had this thought in my mind that I would lead a church called Fellowship. I didn't know what it was, but okay. again, it was a seed. That's interesting. Placed on my mind. It Because it led you to that. Go ahead. Yeah. It was a seed on my mind. Long story short, I am, uh, it's 1996. It's May. It's Memorial Day weekend. I'm staying at some friends, their house um, for the weekend. College kid, nobody's on campus. They take yeah. me in, let me hang out. And I wake up um, Memorial Day, turn on the television, and this church comes on and it's fellowship. No. And... I get this thought that that is the church you will lead. I go call my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. I call my mom. I call my best friend. My wife and my mom, my girlfriend at the time, they're like, all right, well, let's go. Okay, right. And my best friend is like, you have lost your mind. You're crazy. You will never lead that church. That is the church. Yeah. It's iconic. It's where Mahalia Jackson mm -hmm. famed gospel singer would sing every Sunday night. Aretha Franklin and her father would be regular guests. Uh, famed singer Sam Cooke was in the choir. Yeah. Um, the church was frequented by Sidney Portier, Harry Belafonte. Um, I mean, it's just, a, it's 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 the place. Yeah. My best friend was like, you are out of your mind. Fast forward, I'm speaking all over the city of Chicago. And um, Reverend Clay Evans, who was the pastor, iconic gospel artist, 22 albums, um, confidant of Dr. Martin Luther yeah. King, marched with him, civil rights pioneer icon, 
very close to the um, daily family over time and just a leading leader, affectionately known as yeah. the Godfather, just iconic. He had an organization called the ARC, the African-American Arc. Religious Connection, mm -hmm. where he brought business people together, faith leaders, business leaders, entrepreneurs together to buy media, radio stations, print okay. media and other entities. And he also did his music out of this entity. They were trying to build a youth division. I get a phone call. Can you help us with our youth division? You're popular. You're all over the city. Yeah. Can you help us bring this division to our machine? Long story short, I say, sure. I put a proposal together. I come to drop it off. I'm supposed to drop it off and go back to campus. Long story short, I'm asked to stay for a meeting and present the proposal. My name has somehow ended up on a list wow. for this corporate meeting, their bank presidents, vice yeah. presidents, and all of these people. So I reluctantly stay at this meeting. And little did I know that the pastor, Reverend Clay Evans, had been looking for a successor. Oh. I had no idea. All I knew was I, it had been placed on my heart that I was going to lead a church called Fellowship. Called Fellowship, right. I stand up and start talking. And he says at the moment I open my mouth, God put on his heart. That's your successor right there. Wow. I was 20 or 21 years yeah. old. I was a hundred pounds soaking wet. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did not look like the successor at all, but he said he had this epiphany or theophany moment where he was convinced and convicted. That's the guy you've been yeah. looking for. The crazy thing though, is he had been across the country at some of the biggest faith-based gatherings in the world announcing. Yeah. So he had gotten hundreds of resumes from people with degrees and experience. And here I'm a college kid with no experience, Yeah. never led a church. And again, in context, while a church is a faith-based institution, it's also a, a, a religious nonprofit organization. Yeah. No, it's a huge organization. The, and by the way, when you say nonprofit, it is a business. Yes. So, you know, it's, so it's not like it's a volunteer oh, kind no. of state. No. People right. don't realize that um, the nonprofit sector is the third largest business yes. sector in the United States. And it's everything management. It's, it's fiscal management. It's staff management, facilities management, program management. So early on, he, he was the CEO of this company who identifies this young talent mm -hmm. in you, right? I'm yeah. hearing you talk about it. All these people who I'm sure are following because of the iconic church that he led. Sure. Right. People wanting to kind of step in and be the next CEO. I'm oh, just saying goodness. that. Yes. But I think what he saw was, um, again, I think it's the service orientation, this passion coming through, mm. um, this humility too, and building community mm. instead of, um, leading with ego. I'm going to say that because right. and, and people should have ego when they are looking for a job like that. Sure, sure. He actually saw the energy and the passion and I think the commitment to building in you. I mean, that's what I hear when you talk about that. The coolest thing about it was when I stepped into that, he named me the, uh, I first started in that role with bringing kids to his big yeah. AARC gathering. The first year I had 2,500 kids and I raised 20, $20,000.
Amazing. In a handful of months. And so that was kind of fuel to the fire to say, okay, this kid came in out of nowhere and we went from 23 kids last year to 2,500. Yeah. Um, But can I point something out though? I mean, I think this is a theme. You know, when you talked about the first school you went to um, in Alabama, Mm -hmm. where early on you were the freshman president Mm -hmm. and then you took on other leadership roles, while going to school. I think there's a theme there that I've seen in leaders that I've had the chance to work with Mm -hmm. where a lot of those leadership skills, even before you're out in the world, so Mm -hmm. to speak, although Mm -hmm. you were Mm -hmm. in school, Mm -hmm. all of those leadership skills, they were natural to you Mm -hmm. and you were already expressing them or using them Mm -hmm. for good Mm -hmm. back then. And I think it's just a repeat on and on, Mm -hmm. like going in and now taking that to the next level you know, at this church. So I want to point that out because I see that, especially for those of you who are in your twenties right now and Mm -hmm. finding your way, Mm -hmm. if you're going to school, Mm -hmm. I think it's taking advantage of those leadership opportunities. Again, Mm -hmm. those will get you ready for what, you know, for what was next for you. Yeah. Well, I think to that point, I think when I look back, I think that part of the cultivation of the leadership potential I think we underestimate learning and um, being indirectly mentored. And so there were people who I walked with, people like Will Packer in high school, who was a leader's leader. Yeah. The the best of the best. When I got to Miles College in Birmingham, there was Charles Tyler, a guy who was a leader's leader. I was the little brother, the little tag along. But I saw their um, explicit and implicit leadership qualities, leadership abilities, how they spoke, how they interact with people, how they welcomed people, how they led people, guided people. So I think intrinsically what's also important that I think is noteworthy is not underestimating who you walk with as you are being developed. Totally agree with you. I mean, I play to that. I know we've had different upbringings, but there's so many parallels. I think about early, early days working in corporate America, like Fortune 25. Sure. And you've heard a little bit of that story. I did look up to people where I'm like, wow, I want to be. And I know they've got way more experience. They're super successful. And I had the chance to work with them. Same thing. Huge observation on, oh, look at the way they treat people. How can I be more like that? Like, you're right. I think don't underestimate who you walk with. I love that or who you're surrounded by and what you can learn from them. Especially when, you know, I love this too. You were being the little brother, you know, the sidekick, same thing, always the youngest one in the room, newest one in the room, but don't forget like that's such an opportunity to just again, lean into that energy of others. I love that. No, I love that. I like, like, how how did you like your trajectory? Like, how did you move into your world? I mean, what you've accomplished. Oh God. We're talking you, about you today. Oh my God. <laughs> Can we talk about her a little bit? I like, mean, I feel like a lot of your story that you're telling, there's so many parallels. And there's a theme here that we can un- continue to unlock beyond this beyond this conversation. Sure. But I think it's about um, 
just being really centered with who you are and mm. what you stand for. Mm. You know, I think back early, early days, um, I, you know, I ended up going to Cal Poly Pomona, which I'm so proud of. It is known here in Southern California as a first generation immigrant kind of student body, like mm. two thirds of the student body. They are like first generation American here mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the first going to school, right? Mm -hmm. With, from their family. But I think about like um, somehow getting opportunities, which again, I, I found myself working in a tech company and then ended up in a fortune 25 company all because I was recruited, but you can easily get sucked into the rules of being in large companies mm. that happens mm. all the time. And I think and I was having this conversation with a friend the other day, you can easily follow that path because people say, here's what it means to be successful. You need to act a certain way, be a certain way. And if you follow the rules over time, you too can grow. Mm. But then when it feels like it's not consistent with um, your values, you know, I think it's really sticking to that, mm. you know, um, I don't know, like uh, there, it was intentional about every move I've ever made from a career standpoint, but there was always, um, while everyone can provide input, it's actually really getting clarity within yourself. Like, is this a decision for me? And actually put all the other voices out. Right. And so, um, it's such a long story, but I think the short answer is like really being clear on, you know, my values, my purpose. And can I find a way to further develop that or express that in this next opportunity when it's always easier, I think, to just be wooed into, you know, um, a large opportunity. I think it's just really going with your gut. Cause I think the way I grew up was like, most people go stick with one large company and move your way up over 20 right, years. Right. I, that was not my, you know, that's not, I am right. Right. But I think that was always the back then and being brave enough, to take the risk and always, I feel like every few years for me too, that there's something to learn and that there maybe is somewhere else where I can learn it. And so anyway, no, I love yeah. that. No, that's spectacular because your life is so inspiring. And I think that what jumped out is as you talked about both calling was, was what jumped out. Yeah. And that word calling it and its root etymology means invitation, like, like being invited. And so the pull or the draw to be in a specific place, calling is invitation. Purpose is the thing that you've been invited to do. Yes. I mean, I think I've shared the story with you briefly, and then we'll talk back about you. <laughs> I think about, um, not unlike you growing up, I have been a huge observer of human behavior, mm -hmm. you know, how people treated my mom and dad, mm -hmm. my dad specifically, I spent a lot of time with him until his last days still had a very thick English accent. Mm -hmm. So unless you really knew him really hard to understand him sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you've been around him, you totally understand what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And I remember early on, like nine years old, going grocery shopping with him and we were living in LA and then eventually we moved to the suburbs and, um, the, I say the story a lot, the checker, you know, this is my dad, a checkbook and he mm. was writing out a check. He yelled at him how very slowly, how much the check was, you know, with mm. our groceries. And I remember being nine, looking at this guy going, 
hey, look, my dad understands English. You don't need to yell at him, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you don't need to speak slowly either. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just watching how people treat each other right. and always making a, a note that, wow, I, I never want anyone to experience that mm -hmm. from me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's between the combination of that and then watching my parents. So they met here, they immigrated. My dad was here um, early, early on. Then a few years later, my mom came out here to become a nurse and um, they had no family. Mm -hmm. And so when they chose to get married and have this family and pursue opportunity in this land of opportunity and get mm -hmm. this American dream, mm -hmm with no family around them, right? Mm -hmm. So they had to create family around them. But over time, my mom sponsored every one of her sisters who then left their family in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. They came out here, they lived with us until they can get up on their feet and other family members would come out. And even though they had a profession, and this is my long answer to my calling, I believe, um, they would end up being hired minimum wage into fast food and retail jobs. Mm -hmm. And I watched my family make their way mm -hmm. in that in that way and like moving up, mm -hmm. having to start at the bottom again and doing that. Mm -hmm. So if I look at my entire life, you know, and I've done a lot of work just really reflecting on my calling, actually did some work most recently, I believe that um, I was meant to profoundly and joyfully connect people to one another, mm -hmm. right? In service to opportunity. And so not a shocker, although I didn't choose human resources, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. a career, mm -hmm. not a surprise that I've had the chance to work in organizations and lead where it, it's primarily an hourly entry level minimum wage plus workforce, mm -hmm. because that's my story, mm -hmm. right? I think about that's, so you want to know a little bit about not only my values and knowing my purpose, but the why behind it mm -hmm. is grounded in who I am and my family, right? And so, um, that's kind of the long answer to talking about your interest in, okay, how did I move up and around, right? No, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I, I love though how you just articulated that because I see the picture, Yeah, right? It, it's not just, it's not just the, the script as it were, but I actually see how it connects back as we look forward and yeah. see the day is so inspiring. Yeah, I think um again it's it's you said this earlier. It's I know the environment encourages us to behave a certain way, mm -hmm. but I think it's always getting really clear about what's in your heart mm -hmm. and in your gut about what's most important and following that. You know? And totally, so Totally. Um totally. let's get back to though like how you Oh my God, we did, we derailed a little bit, but that thank you for asking. But here you are now. Clay Evans taps on you. You're the successor. Mm -hmm. You become the pastor mm -hmm. of Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. Wow. What the heck, man? You know the whole name. I mean, but here's the deal. When he when when did that happen? So um, I was Formally, so I was privately named in 1997, formally handed, uh, announced publicly in 1998. Um, you you got to have the context and and, okay. and you are a, a corporate masterclass and many of you are corporate, right? So think of it in this context. It's 
one of the power seats of the city. Yeah. Um, direct line to the Heck governor's yeah. office, the direct line to the mayor's office, uh, a gatherer of the people in mass all day. It's influence. Um, there, there are many people of means. And so what's amazing is even though it's a faith-based institution, there are still very practical, secular um, pieces to the puzzle. So what's amazing is I started getting death threats. Oh my God. And hate mail. And I remember I'll never get, I don't know why this one letter stands out, but I got a letter that says, watch her back when you walk out of your house. I was not the leader of the church. Um, oh, yet. wow. Um, one day, um, but because of whatever reason, people, you know, jealousy or jockeying or people wanting that power or wanting to sit in that seat or that influence, almost like politics, right? You know, it's it's there were people who didn't want to see me in that seat. And so the, the goal was to scare me away. I remember one day again, we my wife and I were not there yet for we were there, but I was yeah. the number two, yeah. the heir apparent. And we walked out to go to church one day and all of the tires on our car had been flattened. Oh, wow. Um, and and then there was another moment where my mother in law gave us a car and it was gone. We walked out to go to church one Sunday. It was gone. They found it in uh, burned to a crisp oh, uh, somewhere in a field. Um, another moment, uh, we're in a car. My wife picks me up, go, picks me up from the airport, and the car is shaking like aggressively. And I'm like, let's pull into a right? mechanic shop. They pull the car into the little garage area, put it on the diagnostic test machine hoist the car up in the air. We're standing there. One of the tires falls off as soon as it hoists up in the air. Someone had taken all of the lug nuts oh my God. out of the tire. And uh, I'll never forget it. The mechanic was like, I don't oh know God, how so you guys safe. made yeah. it here. I don't. And we were like, yeah, we know. And uh, we know how we made it. And there was another moment uh, one Bible study, a lady went to shake my hand. I was not the pastor yet. Yeah. And she went to shake my hand and I went to squeeze and I pulled back. She had razor blades in her hand and she was she did not <laughs> endeavoring to press razor blades. Like all these are real stories. Like, wow. Uh, another moment, somebody brought me a pie and my team was like, you can't eat this pie. Right. And I'm like, sure I can. They're like, no. And one of my team members was like, no, she took it home and ate it. We got a call that she had got rushed to the hospital, food poison. Oh my and they God. were trying to pump her stomach. And uh, so, you know, we're just happy kids. The, yeah. the, you know, I'm excited to serve these people. Yeah. And, and, you know, we love God, love people. And how can we use whatever we have? The, and people were literally trying to kill us. Uh, and so as I assumed position formally as the lead guy, December 2000, you know, I say to people in whatever role you're in, accomplishments are impressive, but can you take a punch? Yeah. Because along the way, there will be gut punches. There will be punches you didn't see coming and having the courage, which is mental toughness and the tenacity to take a licking and keep on ticking and to not be dissuaded because you experience adversity, because yes. you're clear that you're in your purpose. And many times pain will ride in the back seat 
of the car as purpose rides with you in the front seat. Wow. And being able to move forward with both and still be kind to people and be nice to people and to not allow what has happened to you to become you. That's right. And prevent you from doing your job or being you. And it's easier said than done. But I think as I look back, you know, with so many things, you know, the things that people say, like, I didn't have a lot of cheerleaders. Yeah. You know, and I get it. I was, by the time I took over formally, I'm 24. And my first Sunday, I'm 24. And, you know, it, it was just, you know, he's not going to last. Yeah. He's not going to make it. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not going to. There's my Southern coming out. And at the end of the day, you know, I had to believe from within when there were people who were not supportive yeah. from without. And uh, I think having that internal, when people are not for you, you know, finding that inner confidence That's to right. rise above the naysayers and to know that the proof will be in the pudding. That's right. Well, I think it's believing in yourself and your purpose and who you are. And it's also that grit. You know, you've had all of that growing up to really just be resilient through all of that. But I, I do want to talk. I mean, I feel like we're we're probably going to wrap in like the next 10 minutes. Sure. But I want to talk about like what goodness occurred on the flip, right? I yeah. know there was craziness on the way in. Sure. So much goodness that it occurred because you ascended into this leadership role sure. and then epic, epic um, good deeds for the community of Chicago. So let's talk about this big box ordinance that, again, you were a part of, right? Sure. Sure. And how that how that even became well i think i think in short the church grew exponentially lots of people's lives were changed and as a, a part of that there was a commitment to meeting people at every level of life whether that was education whether that was quality of life job creation and so holistically it was all a part of my commitment and i'll never forget i was riding down the street it was a random day mayor richard daly uh, the son of of the father, Mayor Daly, called me and said, uh, um, where are you? And I said, I'm riding downtown. He said, can you be at my office in 30 minutes? And I said, I can. And I got there and Mayor Daly said that for seven years, they had been trying to get Walmart into Chicago. And there was a plot of land on the south side of 83rd Street where the developer had invested $30 million. Wow. And it had been stalled for seven years and so many people had lost money. And he asked, could I help? And I knew nothing about it. I said, if I can, I will. If I can't, I'll respectfully yeah. come back to you and decline. And so I did my homework and uh, there were multiple areas across the city that were food deserts, uh, a lot of food insecurity. Yeah. There, were, there was a lack of goods, services, amenities, products that were affordable. Uh, a lack of jobs. And so I did tons of due diligence and discovered that um, there was opposition to Walmart coming in for reasons like they'll impact the mom and pops. Okay. In these neighborhoods that, were, that they were looking to come into, mom and pops would not be impacted. Right. Um, they didn't pay a livable wage was the other argument. They were paying $8 um, to push carts. 
Yeah. Uh, and it rivaled any of the other fast food sure. r- restaurants or Walgreens and any of the other establishments. So that wasn't a factor. And so long story short, there were lots of hoops and lots of things. There were seven city council people who were voting no on the big box ordinance. And again, the big box ordinance was an ordinance that said that large box yeah. stores could not come within the city limits because they were largely non-union. Chicago's a union town like New York and Philly and other cities. And so, you know, the unions would basically stand at the gate of the city and you would have to come through the unions um, and use union labor to be able to have your establishment there. But my argument was in this instance, there was a need for jobs uh, where there is a lack of, of jobs and goods and services and crime is going to be that much more higher, right? There's poverty, there's people are hungry and people are desperate. And, and so at the end of the day, not advocating for any, uh, untoward behavior, but it happens, right? Where there's crime, people will just, where there's a lack of access, people get desperate and just do whatever to survive. And so my deal was, how do we write that? How do we make stuff available? So um, the alderman, the city councilman in the ward enlisted me. I worked side by side with him. And then I ended up in the room with all of the Bentonville, Arkansas, Walmart executives on a consistent basis. And I led the way, um, and worked with several other leaders to get it done. And at the end of the day, uh, Walmart came to Chicago. It was to be 20 Walmarts. Wow. 500 jobs per store, $22 million in tax increment to be reinvested. Uh, I was a part of Walgreens um, expanding. Walgreens was closing all over the city because 60 million had been cut out of the state wow. budget, Medicaid and Medicare. The pharmacy is the anchor tenant yeah. within Walgreens. Um, me and some friends got 30 million back in the budget. Uh, Amazing. Walgreens showed up everywhere. Um a uh, big ride share company, a friend, uh, Shervin Pichnavar. <laughs> <laughs> Shervin Pichnavar called me and said, uh, Charles, I have a cool idea, great idea. Working with some friends, you can use your car as a cab. No money's exchanged. Um, it's been said people won't ride with complete strangers, but I think so. I can't get the mayor, Rahm Emanuel, to call me back. Um, I called the mayor and um, was like, here's the idea. Call him, vet it. Shervin called me back and said, Charles, you're the effing greatest. And this big ride share company comes to Chicago and tons of other behind the scenes uh, working to solve big problems, improve people's quality of life, helping big companies do extraordinarily well. And um, my claim to fame is yours, putting people together to see special things happen that will impact people in a good way. Well, think about all the opportunities that you had the chance to help create for the community, you know, and for people to thrive, which is amazing. I'm realizing we're coming to the top of the hour. We haven't even gotten into like this crazy music career (laughs) that you have had. I know I listed all of your amazing accomplishments, but um, I do want to get into like, it's hard to ask an artist this, like, what are you into these days? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? Like what's top of mind for you these days? So I'm going to my 12th year in the music business. Um, 
Um, I've been really blessed. 18 number ones and hundreds of millions of streams and views later, licensing music to TV and film. I got I got music in, in a Hallmark movie this holiday I mean, season. I can't even believe it. Or I <laughs> can either, actually. Yeah. Me neither, me neither. <laughs> uh and so I'm I'm working on I, I'm getting ready to drop a, a, a big birthday anthem. Yeah, you in are January. just in time. Uh yeah, I'm getting ready to yeah. <laughs> uh you want to say something? Well, yeah, I mean, keep going and then we'll make sure we say something. So I'm dropping a birthday anthem. Uh, I'm making new music. I feel like we need some feel good in the culture. Um, I have a fashion design studio in yes. Atelier in Paris. And this coming January, we'll, we believe we'll be up for sale uh, uh, with my brand called cannot, Positive Air. I cannot wait. Uh, of course, it's Positive Air. Uh, we, we're we making stuff in Milan and Portugal and designing in Paris. And so we'll be online next year. And uh, yeah, I'm executive producing uh, a couple of films. Uh, I'm, I'm EP in the Bernie Mac biopic. Oh, nice. And, uh, and, and people say, how do you do all of this? I say teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. I have teams and people in places i'm just you know where i need to be when i need to be and jump in when i need to jump in but the fashion company positive air is the 300 pound gorilla that's guiding everything we we need positive air and so much negativity so much pain it's a luxury state of mind yes. a style of life a yes. way of being and the tag is breathe yeah, it's I the love only this. air. It's the only air we should breathe. No negative anything. Positive air only. Positive air is such a good brand, Thank and you. I cannot wait until it comes live. And I just can't wait for all the goodness coming out of that. And I mean, for now, since we do need to wrap up, sure. I think you need to come back, and we need to talk about all of this. Sign me up. Right on. And I want to ask you questions too. Oh, you can. I mean, we could actually, we can fully riff. Let's do it. But before we end, I think when I, when you talked about your birthday anthem. Yeah. Dude, just in time for your birthday. <laughs> and so um, all of you can help wish a darned happy birthday. We're minus two days out. So two more days <laughs> until the 14th, until Chuck's birthday. And we won't light it in here, but. We were, we did come prepared with a birthday cupcake. No. Which we will light up and we'll do this at lunch. We're going to lunch next. This is so and kind. there's a like candle. This is so kind. That of course your little fan club out here already had put together. Oh my God. So I will pop this into our little lunch, but <laughs> just for a fact, so everyone can see this. That is um, so wild. Thank you so much. We're going to celebrate. beyond thoughtful. And yeah. Kind. And actually you and I need to trade Rahm Emanuel stories. I had another guest on probably a month or so ago, who actually has video of him and Rahm Emanuel dancing in the streets. That is hilarious. Yes, dude. <laughs> I got, just have yeah. pictures, no dancing. <laughs> right? Well, um, there's so much goodness. I want to end with positive air and actually end with breathe. Breathe. Right? We need a lot of that in this world today. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. We will see you next time on CultureCast. Actually, my next guest is joining me on the 20th. His name is Christopher Bylone, and he is the head of belonging, global belonging at Krispy Kreme. Mm, love that. And so who wouldn't want to learn more about how to enhance 
and touch lives of others through the joy that is Krispy Kreme. Extraordinary. Right? And I eat lots of Krispy right? Kreme, as you can tell. Yeah. So, and Charles, how can people get a hold of you? CharlesJenkins.com. CharlesJenkins.com is my website. All right, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. And oh my gosh, I heart you, dude. I love you. Double Bye back on. to you. Yay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.